Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. We're back with another episode of The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. Today, I'm joined by Juan Vidal. Juan is the author of Rap Dad, which is our featured book for the Stacks Book Club on January 30th. Don't worry, there's no spoilers today. Before we dive into the episode, I'm reminding you all about Patreon. That's a website where you contribute to the work we're doing here on the show. Patreon allows for us to launch new content like the short stacks, and I'm forever grateful to those of you who have contributed and helped make this show possible. The fun thing about Patreon is that in addition to helping make this show a reality, you also get perks for yourself. So you can participate in our virtual book club, submit questions to our guests, get shout outs on the show, and a lot more. If you're interested in being part of the Stacks Pack community, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. If you prefer one-time contributions, check out paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Okay, please do me a huge favor and rate and review this show. The word is starting to build around the stacks and that's super exciting. And the more ratings and reviews we get, the more people we can reach, which in turn means I can reach out to more cool and diverse guests. So if you would take a few moments wherever you're listening, especially iTunes, and write us a short review. Okay, now it's time for the short stacks. I'm really excited for you all to meet our guest, Juan Vidal, and hear our conversation about his book, Rap Dad. It's a great primer for our deep dive into the book on the Stacks Book Club, which is January 30th. All right, here we go. All right, y'all. Today I am here for this episode of The Short Stacks with Juan Vidal, who is a writer and a critic at NPR, The LA Times, and Rolling Stone, among other places. He is also the author of a brand new book called Rap Dad, which is his memoir about his life, fatherhood, and hip hop. Juan, welcome to The Short Stacks. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. We're just going to dive in because that's what we do around here. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds and I want you to tell us about Rap Dad. Oh, okay. Um, so Rap Dad, as you mentioned, it's my memoir. Um, it's, it's, it's narrative nonfiction. It's essentially um, a Latino coming of age story with hip hop and art and literature serving as a sort of backdrop to explore kind of larger issues about family, fatherhood, identity, representation, um, Latino manhood these sorts of things. Um, it's also very much about aging, I think, and sort of coming to terms with what that means to me and just as an artist, as a parent, and just a uh, human being. <laughs> Amazing. That's right. That's exactly what the book is. So you have lived, you 
in reading your book, I was like, wow, he's like kind of a renaissance man. I feel like you've lived many lives and done a lot of different things. And now you're a writer, but before you were a musician. Yes. Do you still do that? Um, no, I don't. I mean, I've always been a writer in some facet. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I always want to be, you know, more of a critic and an author and, and just someone who writes essays and stuff. But I come from, as you mentioned, a musical background. I was in a, a hip hop group for some time and and toured and, and put out records and stuff like that. Um, although, you know, being a writer um, in kind of a more traditional sense was always kind of my first love and first passion and desire, but kind of music took off, I guess, first. And so for several years, I re really wasn't able to put as much energy into that um, as I wanted. But after I kind of stopped touring and stopped doing music, um, you know, as a as my living and, and just uh, a way to pay the bills <laughs> and be on the road, that's when I kind of basically just was like, all right, well, now's the time to to be a writer and uh, or really just to be myself truly, because I think I always was a writer, but mm. to be able to put that energy that I wanted into um, kind of a different discipline. Do you feel like as a performer, because obviously you're writing for both, you were writing your own stuff that you were saying and singing and rapping and stuff, but do, mm -hmm. you, do you feel like there's a difference in the process for writing words on paper or a computer versus writing words that you know you're performing or that those filled different parts of your life? Yeah, I think that they're definitely it's it's definitely a different beast because I mean I was in a group and so you're kind of writing your parts and you're you it's a much more collaborative effort um, and you're also kind of are keeping in mind also like that you're going to be performing these things so how is that going to translate to the crowd you know what kind of energy um, are you wanting to kind of put out there and and also you know in consequence receive back from the audience where in this sense it's more you know, you alone in a dark room with, you know, facing tons and overwhelming amounts of self-doubt mm. <laughs> and basically trying to just work out these things and how you feel about the world and and kind of exploring different themes. So it's definitely a different beast, but um, nothing is better necessarily than the other. It's just, it's a completely different discipline. Do you miss performing? Uh, yes, I do, just because as I mentioned, like the energy that you get, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's definitely like a big rush, um, especially when there's, you know, thousands of people and, and it's, there's nothing like it. But even with that, there's nothing, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lover of sentences. So like mm. I get off on just a good, <laughs> a well-written sentence is just as much of a, uh, you know, fuel for me than, 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 you know, doing concerts and stuff like that. So, okay. Yeah. It's just different. I mean, I, I was a performer in a past life also. So, you know, now doing podcasting, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like performance, but it's different and there's no audience and I can be in my pajamas, you know, but I do still yeah. really like the creative part of it. But as yeah. someone who's performed, I'm always curious um, that transition between doing a performance that is delayed to audience gratification you know like I yeah, will exactly. record this and it won't come out for a while and like when I listen to it in a few weeks I'm gonna be like hmm I'm already analyzing it which is totally different than when you're up on stage you know in my case dancing or acting um so I'm always yeah. curious about that transition so your book is called Rap Dad and I had a lot of preconceived notions of what maybe I thought that the book was going to be but can you mm -hmm. tell us in your own words what what your intention is with that title rap dad or like what a rap dad is yeah i mean it's really about a generation of 
kids. I'm, I'm I was born in '81. I'm I'm 37, and so it's it's really it's very much about a generation of, you know, men and women that kind of grew up in the same era that I did, where hip hop was kind of our literature um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and we were raised by it in a lot of ways, and now we're becoming parents as we're aging, you know. So it's very much intended for a very specific audience. Um, Although I think anybody can appreciate any kind of story. I mean, I, I read memoirs from people that I have nothing in common with. And really, it's just at the end of the day, we're all people. So we relate on that level and, and we all feel joy and pain and all these different things. But I was very clear on what kind of book I wanted to write. And, you know, a, when you see a title like Rab Dad, I mean, you immediately get, you know, depending on what your background is, you immediately get some kind of picture in your head about mm-hmm. what it's going to be. Um, you know, there's going to be rap or hip hop involved. You know, there's going to be some exploration of parenthood. This is by far and or by no means a parenting book in any way. There's no instructional manual or like right. 10 steps on how to raise a <laughs> child. Or, you know, that that's not what anybody was going to come here for and get anything out of. But um, it's it's just very much intended for, like I said, a specific, a specific group of people that gleaned a lot from this art form. Um, I mean, I think if Shakespeare were alive today, like he would probably be like an MC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's, it's one of the highest forms of communication, um, in a lot of ways, the, what, what you can pack into a song. Um, it's there's, to me, there's nothing like it. I mean, I think song lyrics in general, um, are just very powerful and, and, and magical in what they can accomplish. But when you're talking about rap and what you can say in like 16 bars and like, there's just so much that you can communicate right. and so many ideas that you can get across. Um, so I was very kind of intentional, like I said, about the kind of book I wanted to write. And it was intended toward people that um, can relate to it on a lot of different levels. And, and it's been encouraging to get, I mean, I get so many messages of people like in my DMs every day, like saying, like, I didn't know I needed a book like this, or I'm mm. a rap dad or a rap mom, you know? So it's really cool because it's kind of, I think it's, I think like the best art is kind of like a mirror for us all and that we can kind of see ourselves in, um, in some capacity. So it's, it's been really kind of encouraging. I love to hear that. That's awesome. One of the things you talk about, about rap, rap parents, if you will, is that there's something kind of progressive about them inherently. Like people, I'm, I'm of your generation. I'm a little bit younger, but you're my brother's age. And, Mm-hmm. you know, watching our friends and family have kids and that there's this sense that we're informed by kind of a common language, um, yeah. kids who grew up listening to hip hop music, which I definitely am one. But do you think that the hip hop music right now, like, what do you think those parents will be like? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, uh, kind of. I mean, I can only speak from kind of the era that I grew up in right? Um, directly, but um, that doesn't mean I don't listen to like what I guess a younger generation. Dang, I sound old when I say that, but you know the kind of <laughs> things that they're making because I think that they they still touch on a lot of the same ideas and just even on in a practical sense, like hip hop parents at least in some sense care about, for example, something as practical as fashion, right? So right. like because because I grew up in an era where fashion was expressed um, in very specific ways. And there was just a lot of creativity and a lot of just like going with the flow. Like to me, that informs even the way I want to like buy sneakers for my kids. You know what I mean? Like totally. I don't just like get any pair of sneakers because <laughs> those are whack. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are those? You know, so like I care about things like that because I think hip hop and kind of growing up the way that I did made me care about those things. Yeah. 
Um, so I was raised, you know, in a time where that kind of stuff mattered. And I think it still definitely matters. Yeah. Um, I just wonder because I yeah. think like, you know, I feel like so much we hear people being like, hip hop is dead, blah, blah, blah. But like, I feel like, you know, people were saying that 10 years ago also or 15 oh, yeah. years ago. So I wonder like, is there a difference between the kind of stuff, obviously not the exact content because things are, have changed. Like, you know, Reagan's not the president. So there's not all these lyrics about Reagan, but we do right. have a different president that is not as lovely as we would like. I would, at least I would like. So I wonder like what messages I just it makes me think about like through the lens of your book what we're gonna see in ten or fifteen years based on the music that's out now. Like crack isn't something that people are talking about daily mm -hmm. and in all their lyrics and stuff, but like I guess they're talking about poppers and shit. Yeah, exactly. Like there's always there's always some kind of thing that's gonna be explored in that same way. You know, it, it may not be crack, but like you mentioned, it's Molly or it's. Um, you know, whatever it is. And now with the Me Too movement, with the Me Too movement and like a lot of things are going on with this president, like, but even the older generation is still making older references. Like Jay-Z will still make a reference to Reagan. Like, right. <laughs> you know, a few years ago <laughs> on a song, he said, blame Reagan for making me to a mon making me into a monster. So like, there's still like these older references that like the younger generation, damn, I hate saying that. I sound so old every time no, I say that. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you know, Embrace but like it. that they might not be able to relate to very specifically or, you know, immediately understand what he's referencing, but like, you're going to speak from your own experience. So a lot of these older rappers are still talking about like, their childhood. they'll still say like Sega Genesis or something right. like, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> I remember Sonic the Hedgehog, all those rings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was my favorite Sega game. Or did you ever think about another title besides Rap Dad? Were there other titles? Yeah. So when we sold the book initially, um, my agent and I, she really loved the title. And to her, that was something that was going to resonate with people because, again, it's, a, it's an immediate get. Um, and so that's what happened. We sold the book and I liked it very much originally. And I was I was going through the process because I'm, I think more in terms of, um, like more literary titles, you know, is, is what I was really going for. Cause I, mm. I, I'm a lover of literature and I read a lot of poetry and I read a lot of, you know, mostly fiction and stuff. So I didn't want something that was so obvious. I see, you know, it sounded very much how to, or it's, you know, it just sounded really, really, um, obvious to me, which I started to throughout the process of the book kind of, uh, disengage with in a sense. Um, but, the further along I got in the book, the more it just made sense. Cause I was, I would send my editor like so many different titles and there were like these really cool poetic sounding things that, you know, didn't necessarily fit right. You know, mm. and even the ideas that I had for a cover did not make sense with rap data, you know, originally, but it's because I was trying so hard to not be so straightforward with it. Um, but it grew on me. And again, when people see that, because it's that immediate get, the people that I think it's supposed to reach or target, you know, are able to kind of pick it up. You know, that's another message I've gotten from people too, is like you walk by and you see that if you're a specific type of person, like that is just going to resonate with you immediately. Totally. Um, and so I've kind of learned, learned to love it again. Um, but then sometimes I don't. <laughs> so it's kind of a love hate thing, but I think more love at this point. It's 51% love. <laughs> okay. We'll take that. That's a win. What about those yeah. other covers that you're talking about? How does the cover come to be? Like, how did that process go? Yeah, that was, uh, that was a difficult process. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
I won't say too much about it, okay. um, but I, I definitely did have a lot of ideas for a cover. Um, but we kind of ended up on going, ended going on the more like simplistic route, um, you know, which which I was happy with it. But yeah, I had these big grandiose ideas of what yeah. a cover uh, might look like, and it didn't happen. But I'm I'm happy with how it turned out. I like the cover. I think it's very straightforward, just like the title. Like I think it, I think it makes I think it makes sense for what the book is. Yeah. I appreciate it. It works. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Did you ever throw the book away? Were you ever like, this is done. I hate this. I'm done. I'm walking away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) um, you know, the book is very much about like exploring my enthusiasms and stuff. But it's also I mean, I can be pretty obsessive about like my ideas. Mm -hmm. And so and I think like I guess my best and most interesting ideas kind of outrun me in a lot of ways. And I have to kind of try and keep up and I'm constantly chasing them. And so there were a lot of times where. 
I was just really, really, really frustrated um, because, you know, I, I'm used to writing, you know, criticism and essays and, you know, 800 words, maybe 2,000 words and kind of everywhere in between there. And so when you're sitting down to write a 70,000 word book, I mean, it's it's very much a marathon, mm. you know. And so there are definitely those times where you're like, you know, what am I doing? But I think any writer faces that, even people that are writing short form, even poetry, the economy of words that is you know, inherent in the heart of just poetry. I mean, even that people spend so much time on. So it doesn't always matter if something's shorter or longer. I think it's, you're just going to get to that point where you're just done and you're through and your, your energy is spent and you just kind of got to walk away from it, step away from it for a while and kind of look at it with, with fresh eyes. Um, but th- I definitely had a lot of those moments. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What parts of the book came easily for you? Honestly, none of it. Um, <laughs> none of it really. Uh, maybe, maybe the second half of the book, probably, um, because I, 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 like I said, I was very clear on what kind of book I wanted it to write. I wanted it to be um, poetic, and I wanted, I wanted it to have like a certain sensibility. But I also wanted to, toward the middle of the book, start slowly taking on a more journalistic voice, um, and just kind of putting over more of a, like a reporter hat on, mm-hmm. and talk about issues, um, where as the first, especially the first section, um, it's very much like revisiting, revisiting a lot of painful things and having a lot of conversations with my mom about just my upbringing and a lot of just strange memories that I had no context for, um, and had a lot of questions that I was afraid to ask through the years because of, you know, what the answers might be. Mm. Um, and so, it was it was definitely difficult to write the entire thing, but um, I would say those first sections were probably a little more difficult, um, just because of I, I don't know I like I didn't want to like cop out I wanted to tell a very complete story, and so I knew that there was like a lot of painful things that I had to kind of revisit um, and and connect with again so I could connect these dots um, just for my own life right. and. I think any memoir should do that, you know, yeah. it, should be, it should be painful. <laughs> there should be a little pain in there. Is it weird yeah. now when you talk to people or you see people and they've read your book and you're like, you know, my secrets, like, you know, my insecurities or about my parents or what, like, does that ever pop into your head in moments? Oh, like them, them looking at me and I'm like, oh, they know. Yeah. Or whatever. Kind of. Yeah. 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 In a way, definitely in a way, but, um, yeah, there's nothing I can do about that. I mean, when you agree to do something like this, like you got to know what you're signing up for. Right, of course. Um, and I very much knew what I was signing up for. Um, but but I don't mind it. I think that the conversations that it opens up just on a human level kind of outweigh, you know, the insecurities that you might have about someone knowing your deepest, darkest, you know, things. Yeah. You know? And so the conversations that I've been able to have with people um, – and like I said, them kind of seeing their own story in mine um, has been has been really cool as well. So I wouldn't trade it. Okay, that's good to know. I have to say this. This is like not this doesn't go with the flow of this conversation at all. But I am a huge Shea Serrano fan. So I was very excited oh, that yeah. he was in the book because I saw that he blurbed it. And I he was the reason that I ever knew about it because he tweeted about it when it came out. And I was like, yeah. oh, I should check out that book. Like, I love Shay. 
he's such a cool dad and like such a cool husband and he's just like all positivity and hearing him like hearing you talk about him in the book I was like sure of course that's like such a rap dad yeah he's a great guy (laughs) I just love him okay let me ask you about kind of your process when you were writing the book how long did it take you to kind of like put this whole thing together from when you started actually writing it to it being in the world uh well there there were portions of the book that actually I, I started out writing a novel several years ago and and just failed at that and kind of shelved it mm. so there were aspects of that like when i talk about going to columbia and, and getting in trouble and kind of being sent off like that started off as a short story um that was kind of a part of a larger thing so there were sections that were kind of in process for for several years mm. but the actual writing process far as like beginning to end like for rap dad um was probably about a year and a half um but my process was it's it was, it's a little different because i i'm i'm married i have four kids right so i'm i don't have like <laughs> hours all the and time hours. in the world <laughs> you know so it was a lot of kind of just being very disciplined and being creative with my time and a lot of it was just getting up earlier than I would want to. But mm. in the morning, I think, is when I write best, especially as I've gotten older. Like when I used to do music, I mean, I'd be in the studio all kinds of hours, you know, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4 in the morning. And the juices are flowing and I have so much energy. Of course, it's a different thing, too, because you're in a loud studio with music. So you kind of can't help but be in that, you know, in that space. But as I've gotten older, you know, as it gets later, I start to just <laughs> fade calm down and fade <laughs> and so i i think i do my most productive work kind of more earlier in the morning not crazy early i'm not like oh i get up at 6 a.m and go to the gym and make oatmeal it's nothing like that it was just more i gotta get an hour in before i gotta take these kids to school right and <laughs> you do know? you so, write at home or do you go somewhere to write um both um i like writing at home though um i like being in like a dark room with like no natural light Mm, (laughs) and like really sad music (laughs) like what are you listening to what kind of stuff are you listening to um I can't listen to music that has any words okay um when I write um so it's like um Mogwai the album leaf um like just kind of more instrumental stuff that's like really moody and kind of meandering and just like all over the place yeah and do you have oh go ahead no I was just gonna say but I definitely like like writing at home more not to say that coffee shops and I like libraries too because they're all so quiet um but I would say home is is definitely my first choice and do you have any reading this is my favorite question do you have any reading snacks or beverages I mean writing snacks or beverages um no uh Mm -hmm. coffee um Mm -hmm. but as far as snacks not really I'm not like super regimented I've heard of all writers that like, I have like a cup of almonds next to me. <laughs> yeah. Like some I, people I have like really I, intense rituals yeah. and things that they eat. And then some people just tell me like delicious candy that I add to my list yeah, of delicious candy. Red Skittles only. <laughs> only red Skittles. Like, yeah. So intense. You have like have to have one of your kids go through and pick out all the other ones. Like, don't you need some? That's actually to not do? a bad idea. There you go. See? You're putting your kids yeah. to work. That's amazing. <laughs> What kind of stuff were you reading or writing or reading or listening to or watching um, while you were writing this book, like as inspiration, either content wise or just generally in your world? Yeah, I I think I was pretty deliberate about not 
reading too many memoirs. I didn't want to, you know, kind of look at someone else's structure and kind of mimic in it anyway. So, I mean, I, I, I did read some, but I, probably more fiction. Um, the nonfiction I was reading at the time was probably James Baldwin. Mm. Um, I think John Steinbeck, I maybe read like Travels with Charlie during, during that time. Um, so probably more novels and, and short story collections. Um, as far as books, um, music, probably again, like instrumental stuff. Mm -hmm. And then just probably just like whatever, whatever rap I was in the mood for. Um, I definitely love, love movies a lot. I love like old French new wave stuff and Godard and, and all these things that kind of have a poetic bent and like that are very jazzy, (laughs) you know, and stuff like (laughs) that. So, uh, yeah. That's awesome. Were there any exciting things that you did on your publication day for your book, like to celebrate? Um, yeah, actually I went, so I've been living in Atlanta now for, um, next month will be two years, oh, nice. uh, which is, which is crazy. Um, but again, I'm from, as you mentioned, I'm from Miami. So it was important for me to do kind of like a launch there. So when I did like a little book tour, um, in Miami, uh, New York and Atlanta and, so I, I went back home like a couple of days before the book came out and just hung out with friends and just, uh, you know, did, you know, just hung out or whatever. And then we did like a launch at, uh, books and books, which is uh, my favorite bookstore, um, you know, in Miami in Coral Gables. Um, so, I mean, does that count? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Some people are like, yeah. yeah, I didn't do anything. I like had a glass of champagne, maybe. So it's anything counts. I'm just always curious because to me as like a lover, as a lover of books and a reader and someone who doesn't really write, I think that the day that your book comes out is like the most magical day in the history of the world. Obviously you have four kids and you're married, so I don't want to take anything away from your wedding or <laughs> the birth of your children, <laughs> but like, you know, no, this, this is a birth. the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell your kids. This is way better. Um, But, you know, I don't know. To me, it seems like I don't know what I would do, but I just like to hear what people do do. And I think going home is awesome. Do you think you might take this book to Columbia? I plan on going actually this year. I've been saying that for many, many years, but I'm I'm, I'm hoping that we're actually going for for the holidays this coming year. Um, Because a lot of my family that's in Columbia has read it, um, which, which is wild. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to do that because I haven't been there since I was 16 years old. That's when uh, you went in the book. Yeah. yeah and that's the last time you were since. there. Wow. Yeah. I was there this year. Yeah. Wow. So you <laughs> got to go. Columbia did you go? I went to Medellin and to Cartagena. Oh, nice. And it was amazing. That's, that sounds amazing. I'm really jealous. I, one did of you, the things did, that made did me. Do you know, speak Spanish or so little? Or? I speak very little, but we okay. were there with another couple and my husband and I. And so my husband and the uh, the other husband, uh, they both speak Spanish very well. Um, so I was happy to have them. But everybody look. My husband's like a white dude, so everybody would look at me and be talking Spanish to me because I look like I could be <laughs> Colombian. I'm black and right. white, but like I kind of look, you know, when I was there, yeah. I was like, oh my God, these are my people. Like, of course. Uh, but they would be talking Spanish to me and my husband would be responding and they'd be t- responding back to me in Spanish. I'm like, you see that I'm not saying these words to you. <laughs> like they couldn't get it that like this white dude was answering them and I'm sitting there being like, hola, like gracias. <laughs> That's great. Did, did you have some good food? Oh my God. I, such. It was like one of the greatest trips of my life. I love Medellin so much. It was just, like I said, it was like going somewhere and seeing, like I could see the diaspora 
in action. Like people who look mm. just like me, like little kids on the train would be like staring at me, looking at me being like, I know you're not from here, but like, I feel like I've seen you before. So like that yeah. was pretty, it was pretty cool. So hearing you talk about Columbia in your book, I was like, oh, so great. So great. It's a great country. I loved it. it. I mean, it's got a big history and I know there's a lot more, but I had a lovely time. That's that's really great. That makes me happy to hear that. Yeah, so you got to go. You got to take all your kiddos. Do you know what's coming next for you for writing if you're doing another book? I know that you write all the time. Yeah, I am. Um, I have a couple of things that, I've, that I'm finishing up. Okay. Um, so we'll see what happens with that this year. But I'm really looking forward to just doing more criticism and writing more essays online and stuff this year because... Um, I didn't for a while. Right. <laughs> I didn't have I didn't have a whole lot of time for it, and so I'm I'm really anxious to kind of just explore new ideas and and uh, just follow some new obsessions and see kind of where they take me. Um, but I definitely I I would say that this process, in a lot of ways, got me uh, addicted. I think to just the larger project, and so mm. I'm really kind of an- antsy to tackle the next thing because. Um, it's it's a really really great feeling to have. Also depressing. Right. <laughs> it's it's all of the things, right? It's all the emotions, but it's it's very kind of intoxicating even to just have that that larger scope of work that you're shooting towards. Like like I mentioned, it, it really is a marathon, and right. this process really, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Do you have anything that you would recommend for people who've read your book and who really liked it, either you know other books or things to watch or something that you feel like are good companion pieces for what you've created? Oh, wow. Nothing comes to me off the top of my head. Um, I mean, there's like a little track list at the end of the book with a lot of the songs that, um, with all the songs that I reference in the book. So listen to those, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I, yeah, I'm not sure that there's like a very specific thing. I mean, just read books, like find, (laughs) find what makes you tick. I mean, if there's a book I reference in there or, um, a song that you're not familiar with, seek it out. Like I know there's a lot of groups that I mentioned um, and artists that I mentioned in the book that people have come up to me and, and told me that, you know, that was kind of their introduction to a specific artist or group and that they've kind of grown to love. And like, that's, that's a really high compliment I think too, yeah. is when you can introduce someone to another piece of art um, that they weren't familiar with. And now they can kind of engage with in that way. And, and, kind of glean off of your appreciation and kind of get something out of it. And then, you know, in turn, they get something out of it. So I think that's really cool. I love that. Um, Okay. I have to ask you this. I'm sure people do this to you all the time. And I'm hoping that you have your answer already ready, but what's your top five MCs? Oh God. Do you get Um, this all the time? (laughs) uh, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's so hard because I think it just, it does change, but I think sure. there are definitely a few like mainstays, you know. Or maybe um, what if I say your top five rap dads or moms? Does that change it? Does that mix it no, up at that's, all or not? That's harder. Okay. I don't know. Try <laughs> to give you uh, some an easy no, out. It's fine. <laughs> um, I would say so he's not as familiar as maybe some of the other ones, but I reference a rapper named Fonte um, mm-hmm. in it who um, who I talked to. He was I think one of the first people I talked to for the book, who's definitely my number one, probably from an artistic standpoint. Uh Tied with like I would say Nas, um, and then Jay Z, of course. Um, I think Fat Joe um, is a is a big one for me because just hearing him when I was when I was younger, it was like this Latin rapper that was just really making a name for himself. So I think just for nostalgia's sake, I would definitely have to 
add him to the pile. And then even, I think even Queen Latifah um, is one that I really, really loved um, growing up in just like middle school, high school age. So some of those answers are kind of for nostalgia's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say probably those first three are like the mainstays just from like a lyrical standpoint. And also Black Thought from The Roots. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Um, okay. <laughs> this is kind of like a dovetail because I was snooping on your Instagram as I'm known to do. And I've seen some pretty cool people holding your book. And I wanted to know who's like the coolest or what person who reached out to you and was like, yo, I read your book. It's dope. Were you like, oh my God, you read my book. <laughs> like fangirling over. Yeah. Um, I would say a big one is, and I do have a picture of it, but it's Jim Jones, um, who's from the group called The Diplomats. Um, so I would say he's definitely a big one. He's the first one that kind of jumps out at me. Okay. That's so awesome. I just think like sometimes it's cool to be like, oh, so-and-so's touched my book. <laughs> yeah and some of them are friends too like there's a friend of mine named Lecrae who's who's very well known um and you know he liked the book a lot <laughs> yeah the person we're doing I'm we're talking about the your book on the podcast with is this actor his name's Josh Segarra and he's one of my friends from college um and he's Puerto Rican and he's actually a young dad now and when I suggested the book he's like dope I'm gonna check it out because he's into hip-hop and whatever and he has been like total calling me every single day this week being like what part are you on now what do you think like wanting to have a conversation I'm like we can't talk about this till you get here to record next week <laughs> like stop but he loved oh, it that's cool. so into it so I'm excited to get to sit down with him about it but he was totally like you know re- could totally relate to so much of the stuff that you were saying and yeah um, yeah yeah that's so that's really really cool yeah I'm excited for him to get to talk to to get to talk to him about the book with him Anyways, um, okay, this is my last question for you. If you could have okay. one person, dead or alive, read your book, who would it be? Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh, I feel like we could make that happen. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah, tell your people at Atria to just send him the book. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about, okay, I'm thinking of like to read it, like do a oh. second audiobook. <laughs> I need the audiobook <laughs> of Samuel L. Jackson reading it. No, I just, just meant, mean, like, like, to read, read it. it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Samuel L. Jackson still. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think we can make no. that happen. <laughs> no, I would say probably, um, I think John Leguizamo. Um, I think he's a great one. Like, he, and I, I, I reference him a little bit in the book, but he was someone that was, like, super, like, important to me growing up because just the way he talked about just Latino manhood and exploring the not so, you know, wonderful things that you experience as like a young boy and seeing like your dad and your uncles and all these kinds of things, doing the things that they did and, and womanizing and, you know, you know, you can go down the entire line of that. But mm-hmm. I think that he's someone that I related to on a lot of different levels growing up. And so I think he's someone that would get it, you know, and, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm a firm believer that like we read books when we're supposed to like, and there's a lot of times where like I picked up a book and read 50 pages and hated it and then did the same thing with the same book two years later. And it, it was just wonderful to me. So I think it's just, we engage with books in different ways at different times in our lives, depending on, on where we are. Um, and so I think no matter when John Leguizamo reads it, I think it would hopefully be something that like resonates with him. Um, as like a younger version of himself. I know it's a little weird, but uh, in a lot of ways. So No, that's great. I love that. 
Well, Juan, thank you so much for taking time and coming on the show. I'm very excited to have had you. So thank thank you. you. I really enjoyed it. You're wonderful. Thank you. And everybody else at home, we're going to be talking about this book on January 30th with Josh Segarra. So make sure that you read Rap Dad before then. Please love me. Yes, love him. And go follow Juan. We'll put all of his social media and stuff in the show notes. You guys know where to find all that, plus everything we talked about. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much, Juan. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, that does it for us this week on The Short Stacks. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you to Juan Vidal, who is the author of Rap Dad, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks on January 30th on the Stacks Book Club. I also want to say a thank you to Adria for sending me a copy of Rap Dad. Remember, to help make this show a reality, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through iTunes, take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This episode of The Short Stacks was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. And we'll see you in The Stacks. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.